That's right. Pinocchio's not a real little boy. So why did they try to kill us? Who's tagging you? Tagging? Yeah, they're smarter now. That's how they get into our bunkers. They tag along. Who can resist a snot-nosed kid with a hard luck story? Dickheads! Like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We are not the first, we are not the third, but the second variety of your hosts for this episode about... Screamers! Screamers! <laughs> also uh, known as Second Variety. So, let me get out my notes for Second Variety. So this is when the class starts and David pulls down the <laughs> projector and shows us his PowerPoint presentation. Right, right. No, no, no. This no. is the academic part of the show. Well, Anthony, you you said you like this story best out of all the short, at least all the short stories we've read so far, right? Yeah, I think we've only done three, right? This is yeah. the third one this we've is our done. Third story. This is definitely my favorite of the three. Okay, second variety was first published in Space Science Fiction Selected magazine. But the manuscript came to Dick's agency in October of 1952. Wow. 1952. So, yeah. I didn't realize the story was that old. It is that old. Between 1954 and 2001, it appeared in 16 anthologies. That is a lot. That is the most for Philip K. Dick, so it's his most reprinted story. Hmm. Even more than we can remember it for you wholesale, which won the Hugular. I think it won both, right? Or just won the Hugo. Just won the Hugo. It was in a lot of best of collections. I think the best one is um, it appeared in Martin Greenberg's Best Military Science Fiction of the 20th Century. It was published in 2001. Interesting. Yeah, and I I have had that book in my hand. I think I bought it and then lost it or something, but... Um, I remember it being in there. And I know I had read this story before, so it was probably in that book. Because that book, I, I, I remember it had all kinds of Joe Handelman stuff. It was very good. So that's the publishing history of Second Variety. It has a huge one. It's definitely his most reprinted. So hey, Does anybody know here what's considered widely Dick's most appreciated short story? It might be this one. It may be this one. Okay. Uh, human is, I know, is considered one of his best. Do we mean, what What do you mean by, you mean like literarily or I just mean among, among Dick fans who, what, what, what is considered his best short story, I guess, or his That's most a popular? That's a question. Maybe people will leave comments and tell us their favorite <laughs> short story. Uh, I know you guys, seriously, and we'll be on iTunes eventually? Oh, yeah. So, we're, so we're why, why do, why weren't we allowed on iTunes, Larry? Because, because this, we have Dick in our name? Uh, yeah. Scandalous. Yeah. yeah. That is true, though, because I think the Guys We Fucked podcast has to put asterisk on the, the the word fucked. So that would make sense. Yeah, so we're working on that. Yeah, but, but Dick is someone's name. Yeah. And yeah. I it's not like that, it's, and they you know, wrote me Ted back. H. Fuck you or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, they did write me back and say, we understand, but that's our policy. So... Whatever. I think we'll be under the name PKD Heads. PKD Heads? Yeah, we could try that. Why are we having this discussion during the second variety? Because it's 
people relevant. because our five listeners want to know why we're not on iTunes yet, David. We have more than five listeners. And because Anyways. we got to riffle, but just get loose, man. <laughs> All right. So second variety. <laughs> Back to the lesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to give a plot kind of summary? Sure. Second variety is a short story that Dick wrote when again, David? 1952. In 1952, about a post nuclear world where there's a base of, I guess they're American soldiers. They're technically UN, UN. soldiers. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, after a war between the UN and the Soviet Union. Who are, oh, I'm not doing so good. Larry, take over. I'm tired. <laughs> it's hot. So basically, it's a wasteland. Where nothing much above the size of a lizard has survived. Mm-hmm. And most of the people. A very adaptable lizard, according to the very narrator. Adaptable lizard. And the, basically the be- the luckiest survivors, uh, made it off Earth onto the moon. The moon base. The moon base. And so all that's left on Earth are soldiers that didn't make it off the planet and are still fighting the war, even though the moon base is up there just having a, a party, yeah. <laughs> launching a couple of disc missiles or whatever they are. Yeah. Every couple of So days. is that where all the bougie people live? All the all the people from La Jolla went to the moon? Yeah. yeah. And it's a highfalutin society. Highfalutin moon society. Now, can you guys answer me this? Cause I, and I admit I listen to this on audio, which is not my preferred way of consuming a story. But Lesson learned, right? Right. Yeah, I'm not going to do that again. But anyways, uh, what I was a little confused about was, were the robots, the killing machine robots, were they... (laughs) Claws. Claws, in the story, they were called Claws. Were they sent by the Soviet Union, or did they evolve on their own? No, they are are made by the UN. Mm -hmm. And they evolve on their own. But there are factories underneath the ground... That's right. ...that Mm -hmm. we started building them. And they say, in the story... Dick says in the story that they are still being designed by uh, by engineers on the moon base. Right. And then, so they basically, they kind of lose control of these uh, robot robotic killing machines. They well, start repairing themselves and they start yeah. adapting. Well, I don't right. even think, I don't know if they lose control as much as the machines start to adapt. And, and take building control, yeah. To take control. But they're originally created to defend the UN base against... The Russians? Yes. I do have this quote from the story. It says, The remaining troops stayed behind as best they could. A few thousand here, a platoon there. No one knew exactly where they were. They stayed where they could, moving around at night, hiding in the ruins and the sewers and the cellars with the rats and the snakes. Just pretty grim. This right. is actually <laughs> one of the of the books we've read and the short stories we've read so far, and even the few I've read move it like ahead that I've already read. This mm-hmm. might be one of the grimmest like the most grim, dark PKD story I've read so far. Yeah, um, he does say something in there about even uh, down South to the, America still being active. I think. Yeah, but. even down to the violence though. Towards the end, when um, when Klaus kills the other soldier, right, and when they start descending upon them at the end, it's um, it's definitely the most violent of Dick's stories that I've read. Yeah, yeah it's it really is a straight military story. I mean, it doesn't have. What we nowadays would 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 need all the uh, all the bells and whistles of technical correctness, you know. Sure. But the uh, the feel of it is very military, dark, kind of straightforward. You know, you're gonna die or you're gonna live. 
depending on how well you do in mm-hmm. this environment. You guys want to hear what Philip K. Dick said about this short story? But I'd like to talk. I'd like to finish the, the plot. Uh, the plot. Yeah. 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 Okay. Man, just, you just, just cool it, David. Okay. <laughs> so our hero, Hendrix, is a UN soldier. I believe it's Hendrickson. Gets... Nope, that's in the movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. Excuse me. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> so Hendrix is tasked with going over to the Soviets' uh, side of of the the base of the the world. <laughs> <laughs> their their base of operations in order to broker a peace treaty. Right, which the Russians had sent along the front. The Russians had sent a messenger that said they they wanted to broker a peace. Yeah, so, so I think he it was goes just on like his... a, a forward base on the front. Yeah, front lines. Some, yeah, yeah, that's close enough. They yeah. call it. Dick calls them bunkers, but I think he does at one point mention a base. Mm-hmm. But so Hendrix travels to the Russian side of things, where he finds that no one is alive except for three people, and he then has to go back to his base with these people. And by the time he gets back to his base, it's been taken over by our claws. <laughs> the right? claws, yeah. By but, the claws. But it's it's not only taken over by by, oh, we'll by the, the by cla- you are you I'm just are. running through it. I'm just running You are leaving out so much. I am running so we can talk about that stuff. Okay. Because that's <laughs> some good stuff. Yeah, so So then he has to get he wants to get onto a aircraft, a rocket ship. And fly and to the get moon off base. the Earth because we're never gonna wait. No, it's not true. I read a PKD story called The Cookie Lady, and um, that one definitely doesn't have people trying to leave Earth to go somewhere else. But this one, he definitely is trying to leave Earth. Yeah, because that's most of them. <laughs> How could you not it's, read a story? Called it's the in the Uber. I go around, right? <laughs> All right. So, he fails. Yeah, he fails to get off the planet. That's and... a quick rundown. So he fails like a chump. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so. <laughs> A lot of what's going on in this story is once he once he gets over to the base, there's he, he finds out that there's other varieties of claws, claws, um, and the so he knows that there's there's three different variety of killing machines or killing robots, and they know what the first variety is. Now the varieties are human forms. Yeah, they're human forms. So they the, the originally they were just like these claw like spider like things. Right? Crabs, I think. Crabs, yeah. yeah, which is what we see in the movie. But he knows that they figure out that in order to infiltrate the bases, that the the claws evolved to create human like androids that could infiltrate the the bases, right? And they know that the first variety is. Is like a wound. Is it a wound? Is the first variety the wounded soldier or? No, first variety is the claws. The claws. All right. No, 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 no. That's in the movie. When it's starting to get confused, the first variety is the the David. David. Yeah. Me. So, but wait, but then what's the third variety? The wounded soldier. The wounded soldier. Okay, so so when it comes to the varieties in the book, or it's vice versa. I don't remember. Which well, which? well, I don't think they refer to the the claws as any variety. No, they don't. They do in the movie. They do in the movie. Yeah, okay, but not the short story. Not yeah. in the short story. So there's a there's a variety that's the wounded soldier, which is the Davids, right? No, the Davids are the little kids. Oh, okay. I'm, I just got the name. Can I come with you? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. 
It's like that Doctor Who episode with the, uh, the Doctor kids. What, Doctor what? The, oh, the Doctor Doctor Snooze. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Doctor Magic Screwdriver. You know the kids with the uh, gas masks on their face. Okay, so w- let's focus on on Second Variety. No. I saw The Purge recently. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no. Why no one wants to talk about the first Purge? I guess. Uh, no. Purge Pod. So the <laughs> the thing about that the little the little kids that those are the Davids, right? And, yes, and they. they- they are used to because they know humans are always going to want to take care of kids and right. try to save kids. So it's like a perfect trap. Not those kids with a sob story. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's how they refer to them in the movie, not so much the yeah. book. They they use a process that is both in the short story and the movie called tagging because it's the easiest way to infiltrate a military base is to pretend you're a kid in need, and then once you're there, you let all the rest of them in. It's really I thought it was really clever. Yeah. Tag along, kind yeah, of, tagging that's the idea, yeah, yeah, and it's a really insidious one that you would like create um, a child just to trap, you know, the military. It's like, um, uh, um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought, but it's like the whole idea of like, you know, the the humans they care so much about their own people that you know that they'll always go back to try and U- save using them. compassion against them. Yes. There was some sci-fi movie, I can't remember which it was, where the humans were specifically being targeted. In that Isn't way. it also kind of a Trojan horse way of approaching it, too? Yes. Yeah. So, kind of. Kind of. Not so much, but kind of. So, this gets into PKD themes of what is real, or, you know, what is real, who who's real, uh, who can you trust. So, definitely... In the case of the story, no one. Yeah. Yeah, you can't trust anybody in the story, and, and I think... Oh, overall, yeah, this is definitely uh, one of the strongest PKD things that that we've read for sure. Yeah, um, I think we all agree on that because there's not much I would change. In fact, that spaceship coming out of the ground was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was still 1952. But... I know. Okay, so before we get into like the critical reaction, the how the critics reacted to this story and some some more breakdown, let's. Let's see what Philip K. Dick said when asked specifically about the story. He said, My grand theme, who is human and who only appears masquerading as human, emerges most fully in this story. Unless we can individually and collectively be certain of the answer to this question, we face what is, in my view, the most serious problem possible. Without answering it adequately, we cannot be certain of our own selves. I cannot even know myself, let alone you, so I keep working on this theme. To me, nothing is as important as this question. Hmm. So, he didn't directly say anything about, like, the actual I thought the most important dick question was, are you or are you not a precog? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, There's no precog. That was the case in Japes, right? Yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. There are no precogs in this story. So, but there's uh, tests. Yeah. Um, Loads of them. And yes, so to, to confirm that we thought in T.S. Miller of Strange Horizons, which is the science fiction website, called the story Dick's most compelling, one of Dick's most compelling works, often singled out as one of the early stories that most anticipates Dick's preoccupations in his most famous novels. So, really? Yeah. Now, one of. 
it's somebody who I want to get on the show is there's there's a guy who's doing a whole he's doing what we're doing reading all the PKD for his own personal podcast and doing a blog about it and he has a website a uh, WordPress Philip K Dick review his name is Evan Lamp and so I've been reading a bunch of his criticism on it and he wrote up a thing about Second Variety and he said and I thought this was really good the suggestion on almost every page of Second Variety is the massive indifference of the institutions to human life. This was the logic that went into the design of the clause and when they turned out and they turned out so catastrophically. In this way, second variety may be science fiction's answer to paths of glory. Both uh, de-romanticize war by showing the bureaucratic logic and systematic indifference. So Paths of Glory is a early Stanley Kubrick movie. Yeah. Starring Lloyd Bridges. I think um, it's starring. Um, I think it's Lloyd Bridges. No, it's. Um, I've never seen it, so I I don't. Damn it! Oh, can't help good. you on this it's, one. It's great. It, that movie's that's that's probably my f- my favorite Kubrick movie. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but, but I like it. It is so bleak. <laughs> oh, it's so good. No, it's um. I have to I have to look it up because look it's, it up. It's not, it's yeah. Paths of Glory has like part of the whole thing of Paths of Glory is showing just like how governments can just turn like a war machine into like something that just swallows up humans. You know what a good companion film is? Is Wages of Fear. Yes, Wages of Fear is good. Although I'm one of the few people that like Sorcerer better in the the seventies remake. It's a good movie. They're better. They're good for different reasons. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Sorcerer is way more batshit crazy. So. Uh, but yeah, Paths of Glory, I see the similarities between Second Variety as kind of like a science fiction version of the same kind of thing. And I like the, I, the concept of how human life is just turned into, it, it, it's, it's so callously thrown about in this war that even like the machines like just become even more uh, of killing machines than they intended them to be. Kirk Douglas is in Paths of Glory. Kirk Douglas. That's, that's who right. it is. Moving yeah. on. Not Louis Bridges. <laughs> yeah. Kirk Douglas. That was one of those guys that had kids who acted. Wow. <laughs> one of those old guys that had kids who acted once. Yeah. So another thing that's really interesting is to, and Evan Land brings up in his essays, is the, is how Second Variety relates to Asimov's laws <laughs> for robotics, as in, PKD don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Because for those of you who don't know, Asimov's laws of robotics are supposed to be the three rules that robots must follow. And so a lot of science fiction adheres to Asimov's laws, use them as, you know... A a, basis. A basis and a jumping point. For their narratives. Yeah, and PKD obviously does not care. He kind of has his own rules (laughs) for robots in here. Lamp wrote that he thought the alternative to Asimov's law, number one, garbage in, garbage out. In other words, if you create a robot that has the job of killing, killing is what it will do, and it will develop its own original capacities to do that. And number two, robotic systems will tend towards greater greater automation. They'll automate themselves. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, and those are kind of like PKD's laws of robotics. Right. You know, um, the greater automation, and it don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> but so, so I think that I, I, I think it's interesting to note because I, I'm pretty sure 
Asimov's Laws of Robotics happened in iRobot, which happened in 1951. So that would have been one year before this was written. And so I think everybody was probably talking a lot about Asimov's Laws at the time. That makes sense. And so, of course, you know, Dick being Dick had to go the opposite direction. Yeah, and, you know, he's going to follow his story the way the way that he wants to do it. I I think you could get away with doing that back then, whereas now you'd probably get, like, crucified for not getting the science right. Yeah. Yes. It was just something more more acceptable in fiction is you just made it up. Yeah. Nowadays, I think people who read science fiction or watch it want at least some amount of plausible science fiction. I don't... You can't just say there's the factories time. under the ground and well, call it done. If I may reference that piece of shit Total Recall remake where an elevator goes through the middle of the fucking earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right. Well, you know, I think PKD obviously doesn't care about Asimov's laws, but it is really interesting to think about it being so around the same time because Asimov's laws have become kind of ubiquitous in science fiction. You see them all the time. And and, and in reality, the reason why Asimov's laws exist is because it does make logical sense that if you're going to create robots, that you would govern them with those types of rules. However... But this is a wartime thing, so... That being said... We have robotic drones committing warfare now. Right. So So who was correct? Who was correct? PKD, that's who was correct. <laughs> yeah. Although they're not autonomous yeah. yet. Well, yeah. Well, there was a whole, there was a Black Mirror episode about that, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're seeing that kind of thing. It's probably not too far in the future. And I think it is more realistic that your nasty corporations and dictatorships in the world would create uh would use robots for that purpose yeah so unfortunately i don't think he was far off on that so all right um are we about ready for final judgments of the short story under the movie or do you have more let's see well no there's a lot more to the story there's a lot a lot more to the story um kind of and uh, let's say it now the movie does a pretty good job of being pretty faithful to the short story yeah but what i really liked about the short story is the kind of the tension that dick built throughout the what'd you say it's about 40 ish pages yeah because 45 when they get when they go back with hendrix to the base and he's standing outside and the the remaining two russian soldiers are standing on the ridge and he goes down to the base to call in to have them meet him up there Mm -hmm. and and it's kind of just back and forth dialogue with a little bit of action here and there it really builds this awesome moment of tension that i think takes a lot to elicit a reaction from me and i was i was pretty engaged with it yeah that that whole thing was freaky and it yeah because it's because you know i think as a reader you know just by the sheer fact that they're not answering yeah not responding to his in in a normal way normally. they're just they're just kind of answering with an indifference and it sort of goes back and forth like a almost like a, a child's argument. Come down. You come up. Come down. You come up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's- and I thought that the whole um sub well, the whole thing with the Davids and the and, and I thought that was particularly kind of a nasty kind of subplot to the story that I really that that's one of the things I enjoyed most in the story. It's cause like I, I thought 
my brain started working at all the different ways they could use those those children. Here. I think this is really cool, so everyone just bear with me. Are we right. ready for this? Yeah, ready. read it. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're back at the base, and Hendrix is standing outside. He waited, holding his gun against his side, the transmitter tightly to his ear. Time passed. He strained to hear, but there was only silence. Silence and faint static. Then, distantly, metallically, This is Scott. The voice was neutral, cold. He could not identify it, but the earphone was minute. Scott, listen, I'm standing right above you. I'm on the surface looking down into the bunker entrance. Yes. Can you see me? Yes. Through the view sight? You have the sight trained on me? Yes. Hendricks pondered. A circle of claws waited quietly around him, graying metal bodies on all sides of him. Is everything all right in the bunker? Nothing unusual has happened? Everything is all right. Will you come up to the surface? I want to see you for a moment. Hendricks took a deep breath. Come up here with me. I want to talk to you. Come down. I'm giving you an order. Silence. That 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 whole thing to me is amazing. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What I've read the story before, and when I reread the story this time, it's not so much who the second variety is that's compelling, which it is very compelling who who the second variety is, but there's so much more to the story than just that simple mystery. There's a other plot lines that come up and keep you engaged even as that's playing out. It's got a very good build to it that you don't see in a lot of short stories. I agree. And there's structure and there's narrative structure that is really well thought out. Yeah, it's definitely ahead of its time for even for PKD, I think. And one thing that's interesting, when we get to the last part of the podcast, um, because (coughs) Second Variety has been optioned for an hour-long drama, show and excellent so, so there's ways that this story can be expanded and it's really interesting because i don't know how you guys feel but this is definitely one where i was like man this could have been a novel and this should have been a novel in a lot of i don't know i like it as a short story i like i like if it was a novel i think you would have to add it would be a totally different story you would tell than this one i think if it were a novel it would have the effect on me that the movie has where i like it but i feel like there are things that didn't need to be there just to flesh it out right i i think the story for me aside from the little one man rocket ship coming out of the ground is pretty pretty solid <laughs> yeah it, it works on that on, like i was saying that bare level the military sort of straightforward way of uh, telling a story didn't need to be any longer. I'm going to disagree here a little bit and say that there was a lot more they could have mined as far as, like, the conflict, the war, the world building was all really good in the sense that I think that there was territory they could have expanded. But I think the short story is more aimed at the interaction between human and non-human. And so well, I don't that, know if fleshing out so much of the background story. stuff needed to happen. No, I'm not saying background, but yeah, I, th- I think you could have... Well, I don't know. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about a like Stephen King novel length. I'm talking about... Oh, second variety, 1,000 pages. Right. No, I'm talking like Cosmic Puppets length, like 140 pages. Maybe. That's what I'm... The I like thing, it the way The it other is. thing I really liked about the story is, like I was saying, the other parts of the story beyond who the second variety is, was the introduction of the claws as an independent species as an independent race of of people and how he he put that into the story just as sort of like a a side thing but that's also where the story ends is 
how no matter how much you change or how much you are better than the last race that existed, you're still going to end up killing each other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, kind of the whole last sentence of the story. Yeah. Is that it doesn't matter how many wars you win, eventually you'll kill the next in line. Yeah, it was. I thought that was brilliant the way he set that up. Do you want to read the last sentence of the story, Larry? No, go for it. Read it. Go ahead, David. It's the last story in there, so just... <clears throat> the bomb. As Ta- Tassos reached for him, a last ironic thought drifted through Hendrick's mind. He felt a little better, thinking about it. The bomb. Made by the second variety to destroy the other varieties. Made for that end alone. They were already beginning to design weapons to use against each other. That is a great way to end a story. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Larry on that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an excellent ending. Um, and I definitely think that if there was any doubt early in his career whether we were seeing a guy who was just a phenomenal writer, you know, because a lot of times people will say, well, I've heard people say that Dick didn't become a better writer until later in his career, which I think is bullshit. Right. But... Well, we're finding that out, aren't we? We are finding that out. And I think Second Variety is just a phenomenally written story. The prose is tight. The the narrative structure is tight. It is. The ideas are really there. So I think, you know, this story has been anthologized 16 times for a reason. Yeah. And a lot of those collections are best robotic sci-fi, best end-of-the-world sci-fi, best military sci-fi a lot of best collections <laughs> and i think the reason why you see it keep keep getting reprinted in all those those ways is is because it is a really strong story and look dan o'bannon is not dan o'bannon bought this story for a reason right you know, to make it into a movie not just because at the time it wasn't like philip k dick was bankable no one had when he bought the story for second variety for a film that was before blade runner so he was not bankable. He had n- nothing had ever been made, and he bought Total Recall. Or he bought we, we can remember it for you wholesale, and Second Variety for for a reason because like these were just great stories. And he was a man of vision. Yeah, that Dan O'Bannon. Yep. So speaking of that, we'll get there in a minute. But but I think overall, you know, the more I think about, I listened now. You know, just truth in advertising here. Um, I listened to, I thought I had the story in one of my collections and it wasn't in it. And so, um, I listened, I just pulled an audio version and listened to the audio version. So I don't think I got quite the experience that I did the first time. I know I read the story before because I remembered less little things, but it, it had been a while. So, but yeah, audio just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I don't know why. Not I just when, can't. Not reta- when you're I can't retain the same I don't amount mind, of information. I don't mind listening to audio for other purposes, but when I'm getting, when we're coming on here and talking the nitty gritties of the story, I want to be able to see the words on the page. Yeah, right. it, reading it helps me retain it more than I, I'll. I'll kind of go on record as saying I don't really care for audiobooks or audio stories. I agree. Um, it not because I I think oh it's it's not an elitist thing. It, yeah, no, it's it's just a. I, I just feel more engaged with a book reading it more than hearing someone read it to me. Yep. Right. 
Now, if you're gonna, if you really want to find out what happens in the new James Patterson novel, it's probably a fine way to, you know. Uh, that's a thing I've never been interested in, but <laughs> sure, I feel you. And I mean, I might listen to the audiobook of Under the Dome. Right. If you had 20 years to listen yeah, to it. Yeah, I don't. Um, well, no, and I was kidding, but, but I will I will defend the first two James Patterson novels are actually really good before he became a industry. Kiss the Girls and Along Came a Spider are actually pretty good. But on this one, Second Variety, yeah, overall, I just, you know, obviously we all love it. So yeah, I don't think I, there's much else to I say think about that. Pretty much unanimously. I would, I would give it five claws. <laughs> five I would give it five varieties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'd say five uh, varieties out of five. Yeah, yeah, for me, definitely. You know, I, I definitely, I will end up uh, criticizing the story a little bit. Okay, but there was really there. There's nothing in it I would change. You know, it's a perfect story as far as I'm concerned. So, what the hell would you criticize it for? Yeah, and why are you waiting till before we move on to say that? I got my reasons. We're patiently waiting. <laughs> what, what's your fucking problem with the story? I don't have a problem with the story. Okay. You, ju- you just said you'd criticize it. Well, criticize it. Well, why does it, I don't have to have a problem with it to criticize it. But I how- don't criticize anything. You watch. Oh, Jesus Christ. Stay All tuned right. as I criticize oh, are you things incorpor- I love. Incorporating it in the movie part? Yeah. Oh, I see. Larry, just doling out little bits of information as we go along. <laughs> All right, let's talk about that. Okay, so... Just trying to keep the conversation lively. Right. Woo. So... So hot. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, it is a heat wave in San Diego, which I know everyone else in the country is, like, boo-hooing us, because we generally don't have very hot temperatures, but, but it is pretty hot right now, and it's very hot. Yesterday was so hot. That when I went to run my errands on lunch at work, I almost puked. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> on the puke cast. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, it's my new cast, the Vomitorium. Okay, so the movie. <laughs> Somebody start singing a pop song. 1995, the movie Screamers came out. But let's talk about the history of how this movie came to be. All right, let's do it. All right, so... As we discussed earlier, Dan O'Bannon, who uh, mentioned in the Total Recall episode, because he is the was the screenwriter, co-screenwriter of Total Recall. Uh, Dan O'Bannon is most famous for having co-written Alien, but he also... Re- Real quick, David, I don't mean to interrupt you, but while we're on the topic of Dan O'Bannon... Yeah. Before I came over today, I was doing some research, and I was hoping to find some interviews with him about Screamers, and... He only kind of briefly mentioned Screamers and nothing of any value. But what I what he did bring up is um, his working on the script of Total Recall. And we didn't talk about this because I don't think any of us found it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I think that him and Shusset had a very tumultuous relationship, if I if I could um, derive from what he said oh, in the interview. the Walter Hill thing. Really? Well, no, which is another thing I didn't know anything about, but if if you want to bring that up in a second, because that is really interesting, because I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Excuse us while we divert into the banning yeah, cast for a minute. Um, I'm lost here. I'm I'm excited. No, I found this interview on Den of, Geek, <clears throat> Den of Geek that O'Bannon did in, I think, 2007, where they were asking him about working on the script for Total Recall, and basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but his response about working with Shusset on that script was, Ronald only really cares about having his name attached to the having it above the title. 
And I think O'Bannon pretty much did the majority of the writing. Ah. Which is weird, because he was also his co-writer on Alien, so... Mm -hmm. But I only learned about the Walter Hill thing today, David, so... Yeah, so the Walter Hill thing, if if you people are unfamiliar, you, you people out there in podcast listening land... Walter Hill is one of the producers of Alien. He also directed The Warriors and a lot of okay. really, a lot of really cool stuff. But Walter Hill and Dan O'Bannon kind of they I guess hate each other. Yeah, oh, or really? hated because uh, Dan O'Bannon's dead. <laughs> yeah, uh, they hated each other's guts enough that it was very hard. Like with all the Alien sequels and everything, they kind of were sort of. <laughs> I think Dan O'Bannon got pushed out by Walter Hill, and Walter Hill continued to be a producer, even mm-hmm. to the Alien vs. Predator movies. I think he was still a producer. And I think he pushed Dan O'Bannon out, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but I do know I do know for a fact they, they know like each other. <laughs> <laughs> was, was O'Bannon involved with the other any other Alien movies other than the first no. one? No, I don't think so. But I couldn't, because he mentioned that, I guess... Walter Hill and another producer tried to change all the names of the characters in the script and then take credit for the screenplay. Ah. If I'm led to believe this kind of... I'm I'm trying to kind of extrapolate from the interview because it was a little vague, but it was interesting because it's just a little piece of alien lore that I never knew. Right. Yeah, there are really specific rules for screenplays, uh, getting uh, for credits for screenplays. I think it's... uh, I heard this from someone sometime in the industry. is something like... If someone writes 51% or changes 51%, they mm-hmm. can take over as the, the main screenwriter. Right. And which, it doesn't have to be important stuff either. It could be stage directions. Right, which, you know, they had a big issue with that with Row 1 because Tony Gilroy changed, like, the ending of the movie, like, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first, like, 75% is basically Gary, Gary Witta's script. Right. And Gary Witta has a uh, story by credit. He doesn't have credit on the screenplay. Right, not the screenplay and, credit. And, and Right, and so, but they, I think they were able to <coughs> argue, partially because uh, he, I think because he direct. Uh, this is just, this has nothing to do with PKD. Yeah, it, no, you know what, no, what, <laughs> but it doesn't it does have but, to do with movies. But it does have to do with movies, and David, it's okay to sometimes talk about other things I know, on a podcast. I know, but... I, well, I just, one thing I, I would want to kind of propose to you guys, I'm going to do it right now while we're recording, is can oh we do God. like a side episode? Oh my God, it's episode? really happening. <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> can we do maybe a small episode, at maybe just some supplemental episode on Dan O'Bannon at some point? Yeah, he did two Philip K. Dick movies, I think so. And because Larry and I were talking about this before you showed up, David, Dan O'Bannon is kind of, to me, an underrated screenwriter. He needs, I only hear people talk how, about how great he is in our communities, our circles. Mm-hmm. Right. But but I think he's somewhat underappreciated, and I, I don't think and he really kind of got the success that he deserved. Or yeah. should have. And, and we're assuming that you listened to our Total Recall episode, but in case you didn't, Dan O'Bannon, besides co-writing Alien and, and going through film school with John Carpenter, he co-wrote Dark Star. He starred in Dark Star. Starred in, had an acting role in Dark Star, which is the student film that he and John Carpenter made at USC. And he also co-wrote, or he wrote um, Canon Films, Invas- Invaders from Mars, Life mm-hmm. Force, he wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. And what is that Lovecraft movie? The Resurrected. <laughs> the Resurrected. Yeah. There we go. All right. 
And, and so, you know, not... It's a great career. Yeah, it's a pretty good career. And, I mean, just for having written Total Recall and Alien Alone, uh, those are pretty seminal works. Dan O'Bannon is really important into this, and I think Dan O'Bannon plays a role, a huge role, in popularizing Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Because he bought the rights to Total Recall and Screamers before Blade Runner even happened. So... Here's the thing, if, if, if the guy who wrote Alien didn't, I mean, I'm assuming that Dan O'Bannon at some point had conversations with Ridley Scott, and I'm assuming that that has something to do with how Blade Runner happened. Now, I know Ridley Scott's very dismissive of the source material with Blade Runner. Yeah, that's right? true. To, to a kind of fuck off Ridley Scott kind of way, because, like, it, he's very dismissive of PKD. Yeah, well, let's talk about Prometheus, that fucking well, well, piece well, of shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, he just wanted to get me going. I actually like Prometheus, but that's this is not the, the Ridley Scott cast. And it never will be. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll never do that. Um, but Dan O'Bannon is so important to this to Philip K. Dick becoming popular because if you think about it, Total Recall happening it almost has more to do with the popularity of... Philip K. Dick than than Blade Runner. Yeah, there was what eight years between those movies, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Total Recall is when you saw all the short stories getting optioned because yeah. people saw like, oh, you know, so that's when you have your paychecks and your Minority Reports and you know and all that. So I think Dan O'Bannon plays a really important role, and he bought the film rights for Second Variety and Total Recall before Blade Runner, so that's a pretty big deal. We also know that the two of them worked together in the sense that Dan O'Bannon was very open to uh, showing his screenplays and getting feedback from um, the man himself, PKD. Which is very cool. Yeah, PKD, in fact, in an interview, he talked about having... This was, and This is obviously because the movie didn't get made till after he died. So he was only talking... About, he was talking about the Dan O'Bannon script. Phil K. Dick said, word for word... I have been up to reading another film project, the little capital pictures one called Claw, based on Second Variety. They're very nice. I really like them. He's talking about going to the production office. They're very nice. I really like them. Every change that's made, they send me a copy to get my opinion. They just treat me like a human being. In other words, I'm able to discriminate between essentially reputable people and these high-pressure types. Speaking Hmm. specifically of the script, he said Screamers was, quote, a winning script, sensational ending, better than my original story. The last line was a tremendous punch. I read it, emitted a tremendous shriek, and fell over backwards. <laughs> now, I don't know if the movie had the same ending as the Dan O'Bannon script. but Me right. either, but we're going to talk about that last shot because, boy, does it make me knock this movie down a peg. So I'm assuming that the Dan O'Bannon script was different. And so when we do the Dan O'Bannon episode, maybe we should try to track down a copy of the script. I'm on it, boss. And, and we'll yeah. try, try to track down the Total Recall script. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Yeah, David, that's, that's what we'll David, do. I knew there was a reason I let you on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So the movie. So the movie was directed by Christian Duguay. Duguay? He's a Duguay. Can- Duguay is a Canadian director. His credits were basically two uh, direct-to-video scanner sequels, 
before this. Real high class. <laughs> right. Wait, before this? Before yeah. this. Before Screamers, he did... Oh, sorry. Scanners. I, was like, scanners I, heard, I heard it as Screamers. Yeah, he did Scanners. No, he did not make Scanners 2. <laughs> no, he made Some two... kind of time slip. Yeah, Some two. kind of Martian time slip. <laughs> Ooh! I have not Bam. seen the Scanners sequels, but I'm assuming they're garbage. Uh, no, they're, they're actually I saw them not. a long time ago. All right, so... One of them has Scanner Cups, right, Larry? Yeah, there is Scanner Cups. That He did not direct Scanner Cups. Anyway, later on the, the Cronin cast. Yeah, right. so... Um, but Duguay, like One thing that I will say is that... Um, it's funny, because I didn't realize this until just a little while ago. I was looking at his IMDb page. He directed a miniseries for... like It was like for Lifetime or Hallmark or something called... Really? Human Trafficking... And it was starred uh, Donald Sutherland and Mira Servino. And I actually watched that a while back because, well, I was... Because you're into that kind of thing? Well, I was into the subject because I wrote a novel about traffic, human trafficking flesh trade. Right. A science fiction novel. And so I remember I, I did, like, when I was researching human trafficking, I thought, oh, well, I'll watch this movie. And it was weird. Um, it wasn't terrible, but I would never have guessed when I was watching that, that that was from the director of Screamers, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, it, it, I don't know. Anyways, he, I will say this, um, I, there's, def- I've definitely seen worse low budget sci-fi movies. Right. Now, that comes into the next question is it was the production company was Triumph Films. I've never heard of it, uh, but it was distributed by Columbia Pictures. It was released in in Canada September eighth, nineteen ninety five. That officially makes it a nineteen ninety five movie. It did not get distribution until ninety six. It did have a theatrical release because I know I did see it in the theater. I did not pay to see it in the theater. That's um. We used to have this movie theater in Syracuse where I was going to the school at the time that the way the mall was set up, they didn't actually check tickets. So for like two and a half years, we literally just walked you in. You just walk in and see movies. We would just walk in and see movies. And I'm not, yeah, whatever. Anyways, that's how I saw Dark City as well. <laughs> I and, saw Screamers on VHS. Right. Now... According to IMDb, the budget was $20 million. We've also heard $11 million. Yeah. To it me, depends on how they a, regard the budget. You know, sometimes difference. they include extra things like marketing and stuff, and sometimes they don't. So. Right. I'm going to say this does not look like a $20 million movie. No, um, it doesn't. Um, I, I think $11 million sounds about right for this movie. I think it looks like a $5 million movie to me. <laughs> I think you don't even know what a $5 million movie looks like. Oh, shit. <laughs> wow, for once it's not me with the hot takes. Um, well, look, some of the special effects in this are just dog shit. Yeah, yeah and there's some really goofy moments, like when Hendrickson looks over when he's when he's trying to, to figure out the like, what is the second variety, essentially, and yeah. that, that's the, the David walks in and its face morphs into a Ghostbusters monster for yeah, some right. reason. It's super <laughs> weird. And, like, when they, when, when, when the David Robot gets shot and, like, its guts are hanging out. It literally looks like they just bought, like, a model kit and just kind of, like... Stuffed it in there. Stuffed it in there. There's there's some... Now, that being said, if I know a movie has a really low budget and I see... I I actually think, considering that it's a low budget, they they do some decent things with what they've got. 
And I will forgive a movie for shitty effects if you're telling a good story still, right? And they stuck pretty close to the short story. So I think this was a, a this well, is the well told most, story. This is the most solid adaptation we've watched so far. Yeah, the biggest change is the is where it takes place. What where it takes Do you place? Think it's a more solid adaptation than Total Recall. Absolutely. Yeah. The 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 beats of the short story are exactly the same as the beats in the movie. Yep. They That's it true. opens with a soldier showing up on the ridge to mm-hmm. deliver a message, gets ghosted by scanners. They get the message. Screamers. Did I say scanners? He said scanners. That's a different movie. Excuse me. Um, that would be a good they crossover. take the message, even though this message is... Oh, no, it's not the... I'm getting ahead of myself. Because at some point we get a hologram. Right, that's later. Yeah. And they essentially... Hendrickson <laughs> goes on the mission to figure out what this peace treaty message is. The di- One of the biggest differences is that he takes that nerdlinger with him. Right. Well, because but see, movie. yeah, because you have yeah. to do that in a movie. You, you can't just. Movie, no, you, you know what? If Tarkovsky him. had made this, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> it oh, would shit. be slow and depressing, just I'm like that short story. Solaris and Stalker <laughs> and Stalker, two yeah. awesome adaptations. That would be an interesting Ugh. version of Screamers. Much different. Sorry, yeah. I got I got carried away. All right, a little bit. Yeah, so the movie, I mean, they do a lot with what they've got, and and I guess yeah, I can see what, I don't think it's my favorite. I think Total Recall is still my favorite. Of the so, ones we've seen so far? Of the so ones far. we've seen so far. But we haven't, we won't, this is only our third or fourth film? Sorry, the third. Third, yeah. But, well, I didn't say this was my favorite, I said it was the best adaptation. Oh, best adaptation, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, it is, it's very close, um, it's very faithful, and it goes, um, the dialogue goes line for line often in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the events down to when the first, uh, when the first David, they run into the first David and it follows them back to the bunker where the soldiers are waiting and they blast that stupid thing right into the snow. Right. Oh, right. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Good that moment. was well done. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and, um, you know, that, they're working with what they got. I mean, like certainly Peter Weller is a pretty well-known actor, but the cast is not, you know, well-known actors. I don't think anyone else in the cast is well-known. Yeah, I didn't know anybody but Peter Weller. Yeah, so I think probably a good part of your budget right there <laughs> was to pay RoboCop. <laughs> to pay RoboCop. To pay uh, Alex Murphy to be in your it. movie. It was, it was worth, worth it. it because Peter Weller is awesome. Yeah, he's pretty good in this. He has some goofy moments, but I think they all and they they end up servicing the story and making it work. So there was a rewrite at some point after Dan O'Bannon. There was another writer, Miguel Flores, I think it was Tejeda Flores. Yeah. So I don't know what that rewrite looks like, but it was probably changing the ending and some other things. But as close as it is to the story, I'm assuming that it couldn't have been that serious of a rewrite. Well, we'll find out when right? we seek out those original scripts. Yeah, it really, de- it really yeah. depends. I and mean, if anyone knows where Dan we can O'Bannon get write those. it to be in a, a third world war, you know, right. Russia UN thing, or I mean, there could be heavy replacements in there. We just don't know. And if anyone knows where we can get those, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> solid. Delivery. No. All right. So, anyways, um, so the film second or uh, uh, screamers has 
one of the interesting things that I really liked about it that some people would probably complain about is I loved the matte paintings. Yeah. Yeah, the matte paintings, like, they kind of, they were very obviously matte paintings, but... Right, it's not like they, they blended them in right. as well as they did in the Star Wars movies or anything yeah. like that. They and, didn't hide or, the fact that they were using matte paintings, but they were fucking gorgeous. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they looked really good. It looks cool. I wonder who the, uh, I don't know who the artist was, but... <laughs> oh, so, um... I don't know either, but uh, one of the major changes between so the the biggest change between the short story and the movie is that the short the short story takes place on Earth, a nuclear radiated destroyed Earth. Yeah, I already said that. <laughs> well, you got to repeat stuff I already said. Yeah, dude. So it takes place in Series why, why B. You, Did why you mention Series B? Why are you taking Why are you taking my thunder? He. I don't know if he mentioned Series. B. I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I was hoping you would mention the planets because I. I had, I didn't remember what they were called because we don't nerd as hard as you, David. Yeah, so Sirius, on the astronomy stuff. Yeah. So if you're, yeah, Sirius is a star in Orion, and it's very close to Earth. So it's actually not that hard to believe that if I don't know, there's no way by 2078 when this movie takes place we'll have colonies on Sirius B. But but it's actually Sirius is the star that my novel, Goddamn Killing Machines, which comes out later this year, takes place at, too. So, cool. So we share that in common. So uh, Sirius B is a nuclear-irradiated planet. And it's Sirius 6B, isn't it? 6B, yeah. Yeah. And then they also talk about Triton, colony on Triton, which was interesting because that's actually a moon of Jupiter. but Or, I mean, a moon of uh, Neptune, but whatever. So is that... That's the place where the uh, the young guy. What's what's That's his name? That's where the MacGuffer, Ace, yeah, Jefferson. Yeah. So um, this, headed. yeah, like Total Recall, there's there's a precious chemical <laughs> MacGuffarium, MacGuffite, mm-hmm. MacGuffite that is crucial to the colony plans. Well, that's that's the whole. That's also the part of the big difference is that this is a a corporation. Yeah. Fighting the government, Instead where just, whereas the, it, in the short story it's the UN versus the Russians, right? right. And, and, but we don't know the reason. Well, there's one difference: is that the Soviet Union had collapsed, and uh, by the time the movie was made, yeah, so, so it couldn't, <laughs> so it so, wouldn't have worked out that way. Yeah, it was smart not to make it. Now, now, then again, I like out of date science fiction, so I actually wouldn't mind if the new TV show of Second Variety, if they had it be a nuclear war with. Soviet Union, that might be interesting. I would be into it. Yeah. Yeah, you said you like the uh, the Third World War idea more than the uh, than the space stuff, right, Anthony? Yeah, because the whole space mining corporation, blah blah blah, it's just kind of goofy. Yeah, it's kind of goofy and overused for me. That, that's just, I mean, that's the same shit in Total Recall. Yeah, the the MacGuffite thing is starting to really annoy me in science fiction. It really it's, is. Yeah. It's everywhere. Black Panther has. I mean, basically. Yeah. The, you know, yeah. is Un- Ma- unobtainium and unobtainium all that. All that. Avatar, all yeah, that. we get it. Resources, we know. Corporations fuck we up resources. <laughs> yeah. I get it. We all get it. Move on. Right. I actually don't like that change in here. I understand why they did it. Because the Soviet Union had just recently <laughs> kind of fallen about maybe it was six, I do six like years it, earlier. I do like it being on other planets. I and don't. And Earth is their destination rather than moon base can't see. The moon base is a little goofy. So they're doing a reverse a reverse dick where 
we want instead of wanting to leave Earth, we want to go to Earth. We want to get to Earth. Ooh, twist. I wish it had been Earth. Actually, I, I I like it better in the story being Earth. The moon base thing I could live without, but you know, <laughs> bougie ass moon. I base. like me a destroyed post apocalyptic Earth. The that's my, base. that's my favorite subgenre of of horror and science fiction. Bunch of rich moonanites living on the moon. Moonanites. <laughs> moonites. 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 So, yeah, that is a huge difference between the two. Is there anything else in the differences between the story and the movie that, that you guys want to talk about? Like like the big differences between mm-hmm. the two? Other than the ending, which is, I think, the biggest difference. What do you think, Anthony? Is there any other really big difference the environment. The oh, the environment. Well, we just kind of already talked about the environment. Well, really. no, well, but the ash. I, yeah, I understand so, they, so they one were of on the, a budget. One of the biggest reasons I prefer the environment in the short story is that you get this kind of very bleak, grim yeah, kind of... all the trees are dead. Yeah, everything's no, gray and no dead and, and... Animals other than really small ones. And I, I think it fits the theme of the story better than this kind of dusty ass mars looking planet right uh, um which is well you know it, it it's very brown in the movie and then yeah. they have snow yeah but in I, the I, story it's just covered in ash yeah which is probably mostly dead people it, it looks like the shoreline of earth when they go back to earth and Battlestar galactica right you guys remember that yeah um and that's how i pictured it i i just i think aesthetically the movie could have been a lot better you mean the first Earth, not our Earth, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, but what what I think the biggest difference that I didn't like is, um, who chose that fucking song? Yeah. <laughs> not okay. that, that, not that there was a song. A <laughs> no, I know. I just wanted to get there. Okay, so. Well, let's get there. So let's explain that, because I know some people do actually listen without having watched the movie or haven't watched the movie in a long time. And if you haven't watched the movie in a long time, you will not remember this, because I did not remember this. Me either. But Ugh. there is a part where Hendrix, uh, Hendrickson. Um, and Jefferson. And, yeah. They're, are they're, first leaving. They're first leaving, and they're going to walk to the big piece powwow. Um, and. Hendrickson puts on headphones to listen to music, to mm-hmm. which we, as the audience, gets to hear the music that he's listening to. Which and is some kind of early 90s pop song. And who boy is it bad. It's real bad. <laughs> and it totally takes you out of the movie because it's like, they're leaving for this like crazy walk across the apocalypse, and instead of like music that's fitting for that, it's like some just... Terrible, yeah, terrible I, I expected so some kind of droning baseline as they're going across this this uh, this planet, and instead it's just bad. Whoa. And look, you may be thinking to yourself, "What's the big deal? Why why are they so?" <laughs> Don't uh, worry, you'll find out at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> this song is so bad and so misplaced; it just really does take you out of the movie. It's impossible. It re- yeah. Yeah. It really does. It's a very bad choice from a directing standpoint because it, A it doesn't fit the tone. It not the song at least in my opinion doesn't even relate to what's happening. It I don't know no. if it's supposed to be just a weird feel good moment, but I don't want a weird feel good moment as they're going It's not a feel good moment. As they're going across this this it wasteland. Makes you feel bad when it you just hear the song. It's like someone let Zack Snyder go back in time to pick this fucking playlist. <laughs> 
Guys. Guys. Yes. I have a theory. Okay. Much like my Shania Twain theory <laughs> <laughs> that I told you guys earlier, I'm <coughs> guessing that a crucial part of the budget was tied to this song. Hmm. I bet you some financier had a daughter with a band. Right. And this song was like, hey, we'll give you another million dollars towards your budget. <laughs> to play this song? You just gotta play this song. Oh. Yeah, that, that could, it could really do with funding. That's, that's, it, it that, really honestly could. It's a and good theory. Because, like, there's no other excuse for this. There's no way that sitting in the editing bay, that the editor, the filmmaker, the sound designer, that they all agreed, you know what? This song sounds pretty fucking good in this movie. <laughs> if you know why this song was used, tweet at us or Please DM us, us on Instagram or Facebook Please and let, let us, us know. know. Tell us <laughs> if you know or have a theory, because it's been a long time since I've sat through a movie and thought, this doesn't make any sense. We're going to have right. to find out if this guy's on Twitter, this director. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the... uh We'll tweet the episode out. If you want to see, <laughs> if you want to see what that scene should have looked like with the correct sound, uh, we watched a video before we started recording this from the YouTube channel Good Bad Flicks, and he did an episode on Screamers, and he put in a beautiful score to their for their leaving scene, and it was a it made all the difference. If you yeah. don't believe us, watch believe that. Us. And you will see what a difference the score can be. Oh, yeah. And let me say, if we do track down the director of this film and actually tweet at him, we're, we, overall, we like your movie. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I like, like this movie. movie we, but... li- we like your movie, but just what the fuck on the song? Like, seriously. <laughs> well, what the fuck? I might be the minority report with this, but what the fuck on this song? And what the <laughs> fuck about that last shot? Because yeah. that pissed me off. I I don't feel as harshly as you do about it's that. It's dumb. Yeah, see, I don't feel as harshly it's about so it as you do. Dumb. Ugh. I'm not gonna say anything about the end because because why, David? <laughs> it's gonna it's a thirty. It's it's like when we were on Who Goes There. It's a thirty-one all over again. Um, <laughs> didn't even watch the whole movie. I didn't watch the end of it. Because, well, I have seen a, it before. I had yeah. a I had an emergency. I had to take my dog to the vet. Yeah. So legitimate but, emergency. I had a legitimate emergency. Dog's fine now. He's doing better. That's he's, good to know. I think he accidentally ate weed. <laughs> but we I'm straight edge, so there's no way it was in my house. But anyways, that's besides the point. <laughs> okay. My dog is not a doper. <laughs> Even if Harlan Ellison so, says he is. Another um, another <laughs> diff- Another so, difference is the the middle when they go to the medical whatever cafeteria mm-hmm. and that whole area because nothing happens really underground in the <laughs> short story. The only thing that really happens underground is when Hendrix first meets the uh, the other people he's going to spend time with. And you really they appreci- stay in a basement. You really appreciated that they went to the factory and all that, right, Larry? Yeah, it's not actually the factory. I was wrong about that. Yeah. But they, they do go underground, and they go to some kind of control room area. And all of that stuff is really where you you start to pick up the tension that you need. And it has a kind of a vaguely 
the thing feel about it because everybody starts to worry about who's a robot and who's not a robot. Who's a copy, who's not a copy. Right. Which basically extrapolates the theme of the story and kind of builds on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all there in the story. It's just building on it. So. Mm-hmm. Right. They had to make a 90-minute ni- movie out of it. Yeah. Well, I, there's a plenty in the story for a 90-minute movie. Well, apparently, they're going to be making a whole TV show about it, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So, do you guys feel... I, now, I know that there was a there was a kind of even lower budget sequel. Do you have any interest in seeing that? or For Screamers? For sure. Screamers? Yeah, yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah. I'll watch it because inevitably I'm going to force you two to watch that Total Recall remake. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. So, let, yeah, no, there's no escape. From this party. No I'm not saying we should watch it for dickheads because... No, we should. I, oh, yeah. I, I think... I mean, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think people like more of this type of content. Okay, well... We're doing it, David. Suck it up. All right, well... <laughs> and you never know. It might be something that's even more PKD. I'm not saying it, yeah. it'll be something good. Because eventually, when this well runs dry, we're going to be glad that we had more Sequels. supplemental episodes. Oh, God. Um... <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Uh, I think overall, my judgment of the movie is that I'm impressed with what they were able to do with what they had. A lot of it looks really fucking corny, but, I mean, the story is there. And I think that's the most important thing. I'll forgive something looking stupid. I mean, if I can go back and watch you know, original series Star Trek and ignore like how it looks for the story, I can do that here. And I think... The story is is there with Screamers, and that's the most important thing, is if they're going to do something now with, with with modern budget and, like, modern... And is that... Did you say is that a BBC show, or... Well... Or is that a here show? Uh, do we want to start talking about that? Or? No, we still have more on the movie. All right, let, we'll come back to that in a little bit, so... You can't answer that one question? It, it is a British... Jesus uh, it is a British, Christ! It is a British production company. Yes. Okay, mommy, daddy, stop fighting. <laughs> but the uh, I liked uh, I liked in the movie the how Jesus. the character of Becker, <laughs> who is the the equivalent of the Klaus character in in the short story. Oh, the the dude with the teardrop tattoo. Right. I like the other guy a little bit more with the glasses, but yeah, yeah. he was also a great character. I think he, they did a really good job of adapting or creating characters that were more interesting for a movie than they were in the short story. In the short story they served their purpose. They had sweet but they shades. didn't they didn't have really deep character, but they did add character to the uh, to the guys in the in the movie. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying that the characters had like kind of more personality than just like names yeah. in the short story. And that's I think that when you give an actor even if it's like a low budget direct to video crew of actors. They're still, they're all trying to create their own character. So yeah. And I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah. So uh, kudos to the director again for, you know, making sure that he got something out of, out of the actors. Cause I, I'll agree with you there. I'll agree with you there, but, and the reveal of the fourth type or whatever you want to call it, the, the fourth variety mm-hmm. being the soldier or yeah. Right. He's the fourth variety. She, no. I believe, is the fourth variety. She's the second. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. My bad. <laughs> so the fourth variety is the soldier, the healthy soldier. The healthy soldier, not not the wounded soldier. Right. And I, I 
liked that more in the movie, that reveal more in the movie. Because basically in the short story, he gets blown up. Klaus gets blown up. And then we find that he's... Well, no, Tasso uh, shoots him. But it's after he got blown up. He's all, he's all messed up coming yeah. at... Or maybe he didn't get blown up, but he got shredded by the uh, You know what I'll agree with you. I think the reveal is a little bit more cinematic. Right. I mean, the, I, I don't know if you can... I for once am going to say I, don't know I if agree you can with equate you. them, but it is much more cinematic. You're well, right. You just said it was better. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, right. all right. <laughs> so the Becker reveal or the Klaus reveal, I pick the Becker reveal. I'll go with it. And then we have to talk about the ending. And not the final shot, but the climax. Sure. So in the... the I like it better in the book. I'm just going to drink my water right now. (laughs) All right, Larry, let's go. Get in the octagon with me about this. I don't know if I have to. Okay, what do you consider the climax of the short story? Um, The fight between uh, Hendrix and the Intasos as she gets into the rocket ship. And then once he realizes that... She is the second variety, and he's fucked. Right. And then it's all resolution from there. It's not even resolution. It's... It's not... It's... Oh, my God. Are you going to Austin Powers joke me in this podcast? Fuck. Just happened. Oh, my God. My heart died. Um, You threw me off, you dick. Um, <laughs> The ending of the story was the, re- the realizing en- that, the, that the robots could self-replicate and they were going to basically kill everything. Yeah, that it's 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 not a resolution; it's acceptance. Right. Yeah, it's that they're that that it's over for humanity. Yeah. To to me, except for on cool. the moon base, we're not the, talking about those bougie ass moon people b- right now. Bougie moon people. <laughs> bougie. The moon knights. Snorting moon dust. <laughs> moon dust is really <laughs> thick and nasty. And that's, well, that's why you have to chop it down. I mean. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't know what that's like. Um, Living on the moon would not be fun. It would not be bougie. I whatever. felt that the climax and the reveal of the second variety in Screamers was kind of dumb. It was a little bit goofy, wasn't it? It was kind of dumb. But it also led to that, that girl fight, which was pretty awesome. I mean, they so, kicked each other's but are asses we led all to over be- the place. Are we led to believe, though, that the second variety can bleed and seem human? Because he cuts her hand... Before they get to the ship. Right. That doesn't make much sense. The, the second variety, well. No, it, it does. The fourth variety. They don't, first, none of them bleed from what I can tell. Only the second variety. don't have wounded soldier in, in the movie. There is no right. wounded soldier variety. Right. There's just the like chameleon piranha lizard thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first variety in the movie. So is it that she's use is she tricking him is that having blood It is a big difference. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she's tricking him. I'm just wondering kind of if it I don't know if it's maybe a plot hole. I think it is a plot hole that she comes to love him. Yeah, that's dumb. The whole love story is kind of dumb. The love story seems very pointless. It doesn't Forced. add any It doesn't add any weight cuz I would have felt just as much for Peter Weller being betrayed. If right. they hadn't had some kind of poorly forced felt, romantic relationship. I would have felt like he was more betrayed if yeah. they hadn't had that physical relationship. Okay. Hey, you know, there was one reveal, too, that we didn't talk about that um, was done in a really dumb scene, but actually ended up being, I think, a pretty cool reveal, which is the scene with Secretary <laughs> Green 
Who's the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, who, the virtual reality scene? The virtual reality communicating with them, which for some reason... Another re- goddamn VR thing. Yeah. <laughs> VR. And for some reason, the door God had to open damn. for the hologram <laughs> to come <laughs> into the room, which makes no sense. Right. And by the way, the guy who played him is a guy named Bruce Boa, who I'd never heard of before, but when I looked him up on IMDb to see who he was, he was the guy who was the commander of the Rebels and Empire Strikes Back on Hoth. Yeah, he was uh, the rogue leader. And they realized they couldn't get Max von Sydow for such a short cameo. Okay, so but the Secretary Green thing, so what is cool is is they get this message from from Secretary Green, who's supposed to be like kind of the leader of the UN, tells him what to do, and then they this reveal is that they find out that he's been dead for two years. And I liked that because they're on Sirius B, so they're obviously really far away. So that kind of the idea that they didn't even know, and then who was communicating with them? Because was it one of the varieties, one of the claw varieties, the yeah. screamers? Was it them manipulating and sending a message? Uh, it was. I think they they covered that in the end of the movie, right? right. That he was actually one of the. Uh... One of the screamers? Right. So, so I want to pose... Sorry, David. So I'm just saying that that was a good reveal. No, I agree. I want to pose this that question well because it, it... it For me, I think it's important. Do you think... And this might just be a dumb moment, but I'm not really sure if the story explicitly stated this or not, but do you think that the entire peace treaty is just a ruse? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, yeah. I'm... It was in the story as well. I'm not sure what Jefferson is talking about when they're when they're going to a different when they're going to Titan and there's already soldiers. I feel like that yeah. stuff might be true and the but the guy's dead. I don't know. It gets really con, confusing well, for me. What I, I want to say about the Secretary Green thing, and it's funny that it comes in a scene where a hologram has to have a door open for him. <laughs> uh, but um I actually think the reveal of of the Secretary General is Something that was not in the story, yeah, but is very PKD in the sense, and it sets up a kind of PKD type of idea. And so, even though it wasn't in the story, I liked it a lot. And to me, that was one of the best moments of the film. Mm. Um, much like the bead of sweat <laughs> in Total Recall that right. we all freaked out about, yeah, I think the Secretary Green reveal was was a, a piece of really good writing. Yeah, um, unlike the end, unlike. <laughs> the end apparently so well, i liked the fight between the two the second variety the, well, the two women but uh it was just but hello fifth variety right it's a right. fucking teddy bear <laughs> all right we know you hate the teddy bear it's dumb you, i know you hate anything cuddly and cute that's and absolutely not true i love dogs oh, yeah all right all right i'll give you that one well, and I do like, though, that when the teddy bear and the little kid first show up in, in the story, like, our first reaction was everyone, all of us watching it, were like, fucking kill that thing. Like, <laughs> cool, because we've read the short story. Read the yeah. short story. But yeah. when that teddy bear starts to move and rise up in the final shot of Screamers, it's come goofy. on, come on. It's that's goofy. some goofy, that's some goofy shit. Wait, <laughs> that's what happens at the end? Yeah. yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> that's really dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really dumb. It's dumb and pointless. And I'm willing to bet that that's not Dan O'Bannon. 
Right. So no, definitely. My heart's going to be crushed if it was. If it's in the original. If it's in the original script, script then so it's if over. We do tweet this to the director Christian Dubois. Dubois, is that how you say it? Dubois, yeah. Dubois, sorry, dude. <laughs> we liked your movie, but that's a really dumb ending. Well, and when his friend yeah. comes so back, you, so we want to ask the director why the music, why and the why song, the why the teddy bear, and why the why, fucking why, teddy bear, and why the teddy bear. So when his friend comes back, I, I found that also goofy and kind of over the top Hollywood. Oh, when the when the when the. Is it the third or fourth variety steals he's, the other guy's skin? Yeah, he's uh, the fourth variety. But somehow gave himself the same tattoo? That's, yeah. that don't, there's some weird plot holes, like little minor stuff that doesn't seem to really match up. Right. Yeah, that was kind of dumb. And the, then he like yeah, chokes him out. Of, he was full of like exposition at the end of the movie. Well, you gotta make sure people were paying attention. Or like I guess. explanation, not exposition, but explanation. This is why this happened, and this is why that happened. Mm -hmm. It's a real Zack Snyder special. Yeah. Hey, audience, I just want to make sure you're not too dumb and haven't been following. I'll tell you what's going on. The comedian is your father. (laughs) I hate that movie so much. Moving on. You're so full of hate. Yes, I am. Thank Um, you. You need to go pet a dog. Yeah. I think we should talk about how many varieties we give the movie. Oh, are we? Are we? Yeah, we wrapping think, it up. I think we're there. So, and then we'll talk about the upcoming second variety TV show. Cool. What, what I know about it. So, I am going to give. <coughs> I thought the story was five out of five. I'm going to give the movie three out of five varieties. I'll second that. Three out of five varieties. Teddy bear song and song and and I I didn't I didn't one variety away and I didn't dig on the whole kind of forced love story between Hendrickson and, and um the the other Jessica. Soldier. Yeah. Jessica I, I wasn't Hansen from Kansas. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> it, it wasn't digging it in and, and I, I think that those things stand out to me quite a quite a bit. Yeah. Larry? I'm going to give it the problem is I really like half the movie. Mm-hmm. Not a half of the movie, but like parts here and there that equal half of the movie. Sure. No, I get it. But I, I can't give it anything more than two. Wow. Two varieties? Two varieties. All I right. I the second variety. All right. <laughs> David and I are the third varieties. Yeah, I, I give it three varieties because I'm going to give it some um, leeway with, like, the low budget. And I like... I, I... Peter Weller is almost worth a star himself. If oh, I, I'm definitely could... giving it two Peter... stars because of Peter Weller. <laughs> right? Peter, Peter Weller is worth a star... <laughs> I say the matte paintings are worth a star, <laughs> and I'd say the other star is the fact that it's pretty close to the story. Yeah, yeah. So those are yeah. that's your justification for three varieties, right? Five mm-hmm. varieties. I'm with David on this. I'm with me on this. <laughs> you're with I, you're the minority report. Right. I know they're making a TV show, but I really would love to see a new movie made of this, and I'm not. I'd rather see a... remakes or anything like that. Now, keep in mind, but I would love to see a budget given to to this story. Um, I think they will give a budget to it. If you look at um, the the BBC miniseries of City in the City, looks gorgeous, right? And has you know BBC has more production values than they used to. So it, the production company is Real One Entertainment, and they're a British company. Now, keep in mind, British TV shows, they'll do four-episode seasons 
like all the time, like Luther had a four episode season. Mm-hmm. They do miniseries. So I suspect that you're not, because at first I heard about this, I was like, how are you going to do 10 hours of second variety? I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard. You have a war. Yeah. You have a mystery, so. You have war, you have mystery, you have lots of characters, you could focus on how they all get to there, and you could culminate in the, in the story that we know. Like I said, yeah, you would, you would tell a different story. You would, but in that same universe. So the showrunner, it says it's going to be developed as an hour long drama, and the showrunner is David Titchener, who, who. Who's that? He, uh, was a showrunner on the show The Librarian. Okay. Which was kind of, from what I hear, it was like a kind of Indiana Jones. It was hit and miss. Yeah. Uh, Isn't it still on? Uh, I think the librarian's still on. It might be. (laughs) I'm falling asleep just talking about it. No, it's just I'm slowly melting and just, it's so (laughs) hot. So he also was on a a show, the um, Houdini and Doyle, which I've heard was really good, but I haven't seen it. I've not seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, that, all of that sounds like stuff I won't watch. So, Librarians is pretty good. And it's at times. I, I, dude, there's so many TV shows. We live in a, an yeah, era I would say, of I am drowning in TV shows. Right. It's so true. So, um, I believe, yeah. So, I mean, the, the British TV shows, British sci fi TV shows have been pretty decent lately. And, oh, yeah. Like, I'm thinking about, like, Humans, which is a very PKD show. Black um, Mirror. Yeah, Black Mirror. The city in the city recently was really good, but but I will say that I think the idea of doing this as an hour long drama, like if you, I hope it's about four or five hours. It has a decent budget, and they follow the basic structure or, or the setting, right? And like and the way, basic basic story of you know, I would use the setting course. of the war, the development of the different varieties. And extend the story of, like, you know, over the last couple episodes with the whole paranoia and not knowing what the different varieties are over the last couple episodes. And I think you could do that. And it would be... I think it would be great. And it would be pretty good. I'm Um, I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, I hope it happens. Just because it got... The the rights sold doesn't mean it's going to happen. So it's being developed. So... Um, I haven't seen anything saying that it's actually happening for sure. Okay. So, but the film rights sold, and they have a track record, so... And it'd be interesting to see what they've got in mind, you know? So, anyways, I think, um... We, Do we have any announcements? Um, Anthony, what book are we... What's our next episode? We're doing a book next. Next, we're doing The Cosmic Puppets. Which, you want to read a... Do I ...back cover? One? Sure. Well, what edition it, is this? This is a, a, a killer edition From that looks more like a fantasy novel than anything <laughs> else. I'll post a picture of it on social media. I have my vintage edition. Um, I'm actually going to read the one David has because the back copy on this one is really brief. Yeah. It's so, stuff happens. It stuff happens in a... T- stuff happens in a town. <clears throat> Yielding to a compulsion he can't explain, Ted Barton interrupts his vacation in order to visit the town of his birth, Millgate, Virginia. But upon entering the sleepy, isolated little hamlet, Ted is distraught to find that the place bears no resemblance to the one he left behind, and never did. He also discovers that in in this Millgate, 
Ted Barton died of scarlet fever when he was <laughs> nine years old. Perhaps even more troubling is the fact that it is literally impossible to escape. Unable to leave, Ted struggles to find the reason for such disturbing incongruities, but before long, he finds himself in the midst of a struggle between good and evil that stretches for beyond the confines of the valley. It's almost like there's a dome over him. <laughs> this, there's no fucking dome. No, but there is a, 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 a barrier. They Well... Larry, this is well, what you're. We'll what, no, hold on. This is what the. Um, <laughs> Let's not start. No, hold on. Let's not start the episode already. This Hello, is. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! This is what Larry's version says. Any town, USA. That's Millgate, Virginia, with its central street, its flagpole, its local bar. A town where nothing ever changes, nothing at all, until reality itself changes hands. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot less. Oh, so much less. Dude, um, the cover on your copy of Cosmic Puppets, I'm only like 60 pages in, but that does not look like the book I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, right. There, there's no scene where Zeus shows up to blast some motherfuckers with lightning. Does not happen in the Cosmic Puppets, but this cover be redonkulous. Right? Yeah, um, yeah it does seriously look like fucking Zeus is showing up. Um yeah, Cosmic Puppets, I've, I'm 60 pages in, I'm loving it, so I'm looking forward to that episode. But uh, any announcements that we want to make about other things? We have. I'm working on a bunch of different interviews for you people. My buddy, Andrew J. Stone, just dropped a new book called All Hail the House Gods, and it's a killer if you're into the Bizarro stuff. Alright, go ahead. Alright, so if you're still listening to <laughs> us at this point, which, yeah, I don't know. You should be. You should be. But if you're still listening, I, I would say that I'd also like to put out where we haven't done this really yet, but um, we really could use some help reaching other dickheads out there. And we could also use some help with, here's the other idea that we want to spread to people. I know a lot of you that are <coughs> listening are people who are diehard dickheads who have read everything already, so you're listening to it because this is a fun reminder. But also remind people that we can be an alternative we can be cliff notes for people who don't have the time to read all the Philip K. Dirk, Dick work. Philip Dirk. K. Dirk. <laughs> Gently. Um, but, uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. But we can, we can be cliff notes for people who want to know about Dick, but don't necessarily have the time to read all of it. And I know, like, I have one friend who is listening because he said he, he doesn't actually really like Philip K. Dick's actual prose, but he loves his ideas. And this person is a friend of yours? Yeah, I'm going to keep his name anonymous. He doesn't like, what he said was he likes PKD ideas and concepts, ah, but he's okay. not into the prose. So I would love to have somebody like that on this show then. Yeah. Because I think that would lead to a better, more interesting discussion. We're going to work on getting people... More interesting. You got um, something to say? Bruh. Well, I know... Uh, I mean, you just well, kind of said Like, Renee suck, but... wanted to be... Uh, yeah. She wanted to be on um, <laughs> Time on a Joint. Uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Which is soon-ish. Soon-ish. October. Uh, um, I think Rob wanted to be on... Um, oh, my God. What? No. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. So, so... I don't care about your friends that want to be on the show. <laughs> Whoa, now Larry's <laughs> taken over the dad spot of the podcast. All right, sorry. All right, so on that note, um, well, we yeah, it would be good to have some people who don't have, like, a ton of dick experience. And um, <laughs> so I can't, I can, well, I'll tell you later. But 
<laughs> who, who the person is. But, uh... <laughs> All right, we it's gotta go. It's hot! <laughs> it's not a dick experience. Uh, oh my god, Take, if you're still listening, I'm really sorry. I'm not. I know you're still listening. Yeah. Leave us a review. Tell people about us. Yeah, please. Spread the word. Um, Take us home, David. Yeah, so, for all you out there, keep it... Paranoid. Stay Always. Paranoid. Stay, stay paranoid. Stay paranoid. I'm out. Stop.